<clears throat> well, it was great to see you guys today, and um, nice to have the sunshine and things, isn't it? And a beautiful day outside, uh, which is, is lovely. Um, you know, over the winter, it's not always been like that, has it, recently? We've had a lot of um, different storms and things, um, not just um, around the country, but uh, in Cornwall as well, haven't we? It's not always been sunshine and, um, yeah, and beautiful days. Um, you know, I read the... Um, the other week, um, about a, a couple up in uh, Newquay who were standing on the seafront in the midst of a storm, um, taking photos um, of, of how violent the waves were and everything which was going on. And then um, before they could react, before they knew what was happening, this huge wave came and hit them. And, and it carried them about 50 feet down the coastline. It threw one of them into a boat, uh, it threw another one into railings, or a broken arm. They've seriously injured themselves. And so the, the, this couple who were there, too, you know, didn't take the, the, uh, the storm seriously. So not only were they badly injured, but to add insult to injury, they then got plastered across the news by the RNLI as what not to do when you see a storm. Um, don't stand there in front of it taking photos. You know, but as, as bad as storms have, have been um, over the last uh, kind of winter and things, one of the things that I found mildly amusing, I don't know if you, you have as well, is the way in which we've decided to copy the Americans and start naming them. Uh, so the first one was last November, Storm Abigail. Um, and the latest one was just earlier this month, which was Storm Imogen. Um, I think my favourite name, though, I don't know what yours is, but my favourite name has been Storm Gertrude. I, um, just, uh, I find it hard to picture Gertrude being a particularly violent person, but uh, there we go. What you might not know is if you go on the Met Office website, they've actually decided the next 12 names that they're going to use as well. So if you want to get a bit of a heads up as to what storms are coming, um, you can go on the website and find out. Um, the thing is that when we give a storm a name... It adds to the drama, doesn't it? It seems to suddenly make this storm seem so much bigger that now that it's got a name, so much more scary now that it's got a, a name. And um, I've been in some storms that are pretty scary in the past. I don't know if any of you have, have been in some storms. I'm sure you have at some point or another. One that stands out in my mind um, particularly was when we were up in Manchester. And... Um, I, I remember having to, to walk home, um, I can't remember, it was about four miles or so, having to walk home from where it was that I, I'd been working because the entirety of South Manchester had come to a standstill because so many trees had been blown over in the storm and, and, and across the roads. So the car, literally I was, I was walking and just cars parked along the roads everywhere and no one could get anywhere so I made it home well before anyone else but um, yeah, it was just, it was a scary time. There was, uh, the, uh, the school where I was, I was teaching actually had a, a tree in its, in its yard and, you know, we, could, we watched the tree fall across the road. It was just, you know, a, a scary storm to be in and to be a part of. Now, some of you all know I work in insurance, um, so I, I also get to chat to people and hear firsthand their stories about how devastating storms can be, and not only in their homes, but in their businesses uh, and things as well. No, but as, as scary as storms can be, I've also got memories um, of how storms can be quite fun. Um, I don't know if any of you have, have did this as a, as a child, but I remember as a child there being a few days when the wind was blowing so strong that I'm sure it deserved a name, but we didn't name them back then. And, um, but I remember walking along and trying to fight against the wind and then deciding I was going to have a bit of fun. And so instead of walking, fight, trying to fight against the wind, I'd, I'd decide to, to stop and, and I'd decide to try and, and fall over and see if the wind would catch me. And so I'd, I'd try it backwards first, I'd lean back and see how much weight the wind would carry. And then if it managed it, I'd try it forwards and lean forwards and see how much weight the wind would carry and amazingly I never ended up with a broken nose but um, it always managed to hold me eventually though 
you have to start trying to walk again. You can't just stay there having some fun. And as you start, uh, try and walk into the wind, anyone who's, who's walked in the midst of a seriously windy day in the midst of a storm knows it's hard work. It's not much fun, is it, when you're trying to walk against the wind and it's blowing you along. You either have to struggle against the wind, fighting for every step, but it's not much better when you're walking with the wind, is it? Because then you're having to hold yourself back and stop yourself from breaking into, into a run. If you don't remember that very well, um, why don't we watch a quick video of some folks in Norway as they try and walk in the midst of a storm. Doesn't look like much fun, does it? I don't know if you'd want to be trying to walk in the midst of that, struggling against the elements. Um, you know, you can see people who are not just fighting for each and every step forward they take, but, you know, there was, there was the one lady wasn't there, and she was trying to walk forward, and suddenly she finds herself going in the wrong direction, walking backwards because the wind is so strong. And there was, there was one group that walked in the same direction with the wind, and they were almost running, weren't they, as they, they went across in, um, with a stunned wind kind of blowing behind them, driving them faster and faster. The thing is, don't you often feel that life can be a little bit like that? You know, that there are times when it just feels like whatever, for whatever reason, you were trying to push forwards and everything is against you. Every step is a battle. You know, when it feels like you're trying to go in one direction, when everybody else around you is headed in the other way and they're trying to pull you along with them. There's this pressure to, to conform, this pressure to, to fit in, to do the things the, the same way that everybody else is. And sometimes as much as we try and do things the right way, as much as we try and live life in a particular way, we can actually find ourselves taking unwanted steps backwards because the pressure is so great against us. And if actually we, we decide at one point we're going to turn around and just go in the same direction, we're going to go with the flow, it can be scary how quickly we can find ourselves pulled along and ending up somewhere that we never ever would have intended to be. Now life isn't always easy, is it? You know, especially when we try and and live it God's way, especially when we try and stand out as different and stop fitting in and going against the flow. You know, when all around us is this unspoken pressure, this unspoken pressure to and temptation to compromise and to go along with the way that everybody else does things. You know, it's hard when when the perspective that we have and the way that we look at things and the way that we approach things and the way that we're trying to live clashes. Maybe with our parents or our families and the way that they think about things. And, or maybe with the priorities and the approach to life that our friends have. And the way in which our, our workplace or our bosses want us to conduct ourselves. It's hard when those, those two things clash and they come together, isn't it? And to break with the norm, to, to go against the flow, then isn't an easy thing. You know, but if we want to be a people who, who follow Jesus, a people who not only experience God at work within our own lives, but who, as we, we're doing this series, are an inspiring influence in the lives of others, then we need to learn how to walk against the wind. We need to learn how to walk against the wind. To help us do that, we're, we're going to look today at the life of a man called Josiah, um, who lived at around the time of about 650 BC. Um, give you a bit of background to start with. So Josiah was one of the last kings of Judah, and he was born into a family and into a nation that was headed into a very clear direction. And when Josiah was born, his grandfather um, was king, a guy called King Manasseh. He was the, uh, the ruler of Judah. Um, and King Manasseh was so bad that his intent was to get rid of 
every single little trace of the Jewish God and the Jewish faith from their nation. For it all to be gone, for it to just to stomp it out, and for it to just be, be destroyed and utterly got rid of. You know, he's trying to find every single copy of the book of the law, and the, the words which God had given to Moses, essentially the Jewish Bible, and to destroy it. He, he then killed off the Jewish priests. Um, and he put um, idols in the temple, you know. So in the, in a place which was a kind of the equivalent of, of what we would consider church, he, he brought into that place and he set up in that place idols for foreign gods to be worshipped. He set up places for prostitutes. Can you imagine coming into church and finding a little room for prostitutes? You know, he set up in that place um, uh, all sorts of different things. He dedicated a whole room within the temple to horses that were good, that were committed and dedicated to worship of the sun. You know, they worshipped the sun and the moon as if they were gods in, in the temple that was built for the Jewish God, for, for the God that we worship. You know, as a, as a Jewish king, he did more to ruin the Jewish faith of the people in the nation of Israel than any of the outside enemies of Israel ever did. And then after he died, his son Ammon became king. And uh, the Bible doesn't tell us an awful lot about him, but it, it, as we, what we read about Ammon is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Manasseh had done. He followed in the footsteps of his father. He went along with the flow. He allowed the wind to carry him. You know, but Ammon only, only reigns as king for two years because his officials, the leaders around him, see that he's leading them in the wrong direction. And so they have him assassinated. You'd think that that would be a key point for change if taken out the, the man who's leading Judah in the wrong direction. But what happens then is that the people of Judah rise up and they kill all of the officials who've just had him assassinated. And we're not given an explanation, but the only reason that I can think of is that essentially the people wanted nothing to change. While the nation was uh, opposed to God, while their practices were immoral, while they were doing all of these different things, they were happy. There was no war. They were at peace with their neighbours. The economy was doing okay. There was no pressing emergency, and so the people just wanted things to stay as they were. They wanted the freedom to keep doing things how they wanted to do. Life was good, as far as they were concerned, and they'd embraced these foreign gods. They were happy with the fact that child sacrifice was going on, and there were prostitutes in the temple. It didn't matter to them. They were blind to the spiritual and the moral disaster that they actually found themselves in. But the reality was that Ammon and Manasseh were no different from the rest of the people in Judah at that time. Like all the other people in the nation, they were violently opposed to God's ways. The wind was blowing in a very clear direction. But obviously when you assassinate a king, you've got to find a new one. So they crowned Josiah, the king at the grand old age of eight. I don't know if you can imagine an eight-year-old as king. doesn't sound pretty to me, um, the kind of things that might happen, but there we go. And, but as an eight-year-old king, the only role models that he has to follow are his, his father, Ammon, who we've just heard about, his grandfather, Manasseh, who we've just heard about. You know, everything which has been demonstrated to him about what it is to be king is in opposition to God. And he's ruling in a nation where the people that he's leading are in opposition to God. There's this raging wind that is blowing in a certain direction. There's this huge pressure all around him for him to fit in and to act and to rule in a particular way. And if he wants to do anything different from that, he has to learn to walk against the wind. 
Now, if you want to read the whole story of the king, uh, about King Josiah, that's great. I encourage you to do that. You can read how he got on for yourself in 2 Kings uh, 22 to 23 or in 2 Chronicles 34 to 35. We're just going to dip into little bits of it this morning. We've not got time to go through all of it. Um, but we're going to dip into bits as we try and discover how Josiah handled this difficult situation. This is what we read in 2 Chronicles 34 verses 1 to 3. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, so he's 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, we don't know exactly what happened between when Josiah is appointed king at the age of eight and when um, he becomes 16 and he starts to seek after God. But at a certain point in those kind of eight-year period, Josiah looked at the kind of king that his father and his grandfather had been. He looked out at the state of the nation and what was going on around him and the way that people were living, and something within him knew that it was wrong. And as I say, we, we don't know exactly how it happened, but maybe in his youth, you know, he's there in the, in the palace and where the annals of the kings are kept. Maybe in his youth, he, he liked to go and to read the stories of the old kings. And as he read through the annals of the kings, he found these stories about David. And he started reading about David and something stirred within his heart. Something stirred within his heart to say, that's the kind of king that I want to be. Something stirred within his heart to say, I want to be a man after God's own heart. And he started to seek after God. He was unwilling to let things stay as they were. He was unwilling to just be blown along by the wind. And he began to seek God with all his heart. It's a great starting place to be at, isn't it? You know, I don't know where you're at today, whether you feel trapped in a lifestyle that you don't like. And or if you feel that God is distant from you. Whether actually, maybe you've never even encountered God for yourself. But like Josiah, you've heard these stories about these other people who know God and have experienced God and God's been at work in their lives and something within you says, I want that. You know, wherever you are, I want to encourage you that as you hear about how God is at work in Josiah and as you hear about how God works today, that just to allow him by his spirit to begin to stir your heart. So that like Josiah, you will be a person who is described as seeking after God with all their heart. You know, God's great promise, he has a great promise to us. And he says, you know, that when we're in that place, when we're in that place where we're seeking after him, we will find him. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? You know, he's not trying to hide from you. He's not trying to make things difficult and make you work. He simply he's waiting for you to look for him. Waiting for you to seek after him. And when we see that happen with Josiah, we see that as he seeks God, he finds him. You know, as part of his, his seeking after God, as, as, you know, as he kind of discovered that these things about David who'd been before him, as part of his seeking after God, Josiah decides that he's going to try to restore the temple. So what does he do? He clears out all of the wrong things that are, have been going on in the temple, all the stuff that we've just been talking about, and he commissions builders to come in and start to repair it. And, and to restore it to, to how it was meant to be. And as the builders go through cleaning out the temple, an amazing thing happens. Hilkiah, who he's uh, appointed as the high priest, he finds a lost copy of the book of the law. 
Now, imagine, this is, is, is the book that, uh, of God's word that was given directly to the people of Israel, that his grandfather, Manasseh, had gone out of his way to destroy every copy of. And then Josiah's there as this guy who's seeking after God, but has never, never had a copy of the book of the law. Imagine how excited he must be to suddenly be able to find this copy, to know that one still exists, to be able to hear it. And um, so there's, it's, it's incredible, really, when you think about it, that it still existed there, hidden away in the temple. But when it's found, what happens is um, that uh, the Hilkiah sends this other guy called Shaphan to come and te- uh, read it to him. It's, this is what it says, 2 Kings 22, verses 10 to 11. It says, Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. How do you think he's going to react? Hearing the, the, this word of God for the first time. Hearing it read to him, having never come across it before. This guy who's seeking after God. So this is what it says. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He tore his robes. When Josiah heard the word of God, Because he was seeking after God, his heart was open. And he was impacted. And as he heard God's word, he realized how he and the rest of the country were still not living God's way. And he tore his robes, he tore his clothes as a sign of the grief that he felt. And the starting point for each one of us, if we want to be a people who walk against the wind who go against the flow and the pressure of society as we look to follow Jesus, is that we need to recognize where we're really at. We need to look out at the world. We need to look out at our communities and our friends and be moved to a place of grief. To recognize the reality that so much of what is going on in the world goes against God's ways. To see it for what it is instead of getting blown along with the wind so that we can make a stand against it. But it's not just about what's going on in the world. We also need to be honest with ourselves and to make a decision to stop making excuses for our behaviour and our attitudes and to own up to our responsibility. To look in the mirror and say, those words that came out of my mouth, they were my words and I have a problem. To look in the mirror and to say, those were my actions and I have a problem. To look in the mirror and say, it is the attitude of my own heart and I have a problem. Now it might be that someone else is the one pressing my buttons and causing me to react in a particular way, but I'm still responsible for what I said. I'm still responsible for what I did. I'm still responsible for the attitude that I've had. To come to God honestly and just as Josiah tore his robes in grief. To come to God and to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stop blaming others. I'm going to stop hiding away from the problems because the reality is that I'm responsible. The reality is that I'm the only one who's accountable for my behavior. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But the reality is that it's hard. You know, we can all find reasons to excuse our, our wrong behavior and our wrong attitudes. There's reasons why we did it in the first place. So it's easy to, to look for something. 
You know, there's always something in our circumstances or something that somebody else has done that we can point to to justify what we do. But the first thing that we need to do is to look in the mirror, to own our behavior, and to stop making excuses. To come before God, not just grieved by the way the world is going, not just grieved by what other people are doing, but grieved by the way that we have allowed ourselves to be influenced, influenced by it and caught up in it. To own up and to stop making excuses. Now when we do that, when we come to God and we, we own up to our mistakes and we say that we're sorry, it's the starting point of something that the Bible calls um, repentance. Now, it's not a word that we, we use much these days, is it? But in the New Testament, when people are confronted with a truth like Josiah is here and they realize their mistakes and they, um, that they've been making and they've, they kind of come to God and they ask God, uh, they ask people, what is it that I need to do? What should I do? And the answer that they always get back is that you need to repent. And I don't know what it is what you, what you think of when you hear that word. Because I say it's not a word that we really use, is it? You won't use that in everyday language. And can't imagine in the last week, you know, if you've been having a conversation in, in work, that you've, you've t- started talking about repentance or use the word repent very much. You know, but I think so often what we mean by repentance when we, when we think about it and when we, when we say it is we simply mean what Josiah did when he heard the book of the law read out to him. When he realized his mistakes he'd been making and uh, the mistakes the nation had been making and that he, he was grieved and he tore his clothes, essentially he felt sorry for what it is that he'd done. And it can be easy to think that that's all that repentance is. It's recognizing the mistakes that you've made and coming to God and praying a prayer and saying that you're sorry. You know, but as we read on with Josiah, we actually see a great example of real repentance. And there's so much more than that. That it's not just a prayer or saying that you're sorry, but it's coming to God and recognizing the areas in your life that don't line up with his way, with his word, with his plan and purpose. And then going beyond being sorry to make actual changes because of it. This is what we read um, Josiah does and is an example of repentance in 2 Kings 23 verses 4 to 7. These aren't the kind of verses that we normally uh, we read and normally focus on. It's hard-hitting stuff, but this is what it says. It says, The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. Baal and Asherah are just two other foreign gods. Um, he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those of Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. I could keep going. I'm not going to, but I could keep going all the way to verse 20. Let's just see a continuous list of the things that Josiah does to deal with the wrong practices in Israel. As he travels around the country, pulling down altars, pulling down and destroying Asherah poles, grinding them to powder, burning them. Until finally it says in verse 20, he went back to Jerusalem. He went back to Jerusalem. Might seem like strange verses to read. But I want you to understand that repentance is not just a prayer. It's a change put into action. It's not just an appeal to God for his mercy. It's saying to God, I recognize that I was going this way. 
that I was allowing myself to get caught up and pulled along by the wind to follow the world's standards instead of yours. And now I want to change. I was going along with the flow, allowing myself to be pushed along by the wind, but now I commit to make changes in my life, to turn around and to go the other way, to walk against the wind, even though it might be a battle. Not because of trying to earn God's forgiveness, but as a recognition of who God is and a submission to his way for your life. You know, as Sean brought the, the word, uh, the, the prophecy in the picture earlier, of looking up at God as the master and allowing him to be the one that you follow. You know, what we see with Josiah is that when he realizes that he and the nation of Israel all the different things that they've allowed to go on. The actions that they've done that are in opposition to God. He didn't just stop doing those things. He didn't even just make a law to say everybody has to stop doing these things. Instead he sets out with a tenacious commitment to get rid of everything that might have the potential to draw people away from God and back into doing those things. I think this is a real challenge to us if I'm honest. Because what we see in this is that repentance involves not only stopping doing the things that you know are wrong, but actually setting out with a tenacious commitment to get rid of everything in your life that surrounds you, that has the potential to pull you back into doing what you know is wrong. To pull you back into old habits and draw you away from God. It means that if we're not just sorry, but we actually want to break free from old habits or old attitudes that are in opposition to God, then we need to be willing to purge our world, our lives, our families, our bedside tables, our computers, of anything and everything that tries to drag us away from God. And back into the very thing that you're trying to break free from. That means that for some of you, there might be some relationships that you need to end. Relationships with people who push your buttons or have the potential to tempt you back into the very thing that you're trying to break free from. For some of you, it will be habits or hobbies. For some of you, you might need to call up your credit card or try and find help with accountability with your finances. For some of you, it might mean changing the location of your computer or downgrading from a smartphone to something where you can't access the internet. Now, I don't know what it is for you. But as you think of the areas where you are susceptible and you are grieved as you come to God because in your heart you are sorry, as an act of repentance, you need to be willing to make radical changes in order to break free. You know, if we don't make radical changes, then the reality is that it is only a matter of time as we try and walk against the wind that the pressure will become too great and we will find ourselves going the wrong direction again. It's not easy. There's a genuine cost to making these kind of changes in your life. 
Now, I remember when I was 17 and I'd, I'd just started seeking after God. I was kind of like Josiah at 16 where I didn't know an awful lot. My faith hadn't taken off. I didn't really know what it looked like to follow Jesus. But something in me knew that the way that I was living was wrong. And that I needed God in my life. And so I made decisions to, you know, basic decisions. Decisions to stop skipping college. And ducking out of lectures to go off playing pool with my mates. Decisions to stop drinking. Decisions to stop talking about girls in a particular way. And those decisions cost me. Not so much in giving up those things, but in the fact that the friendships that I had, they were the things that I had in common. You know, making changes in our lives as an act of repentance isn't always easy. You know, I can't imagine it made Josiah very popular. And it might be that it doesn't make you very popular. Or it may mean giving up something that you enjoy, because as good as that thing can be, it also has the potential to be really bad. And to draw you away from God, and it just isn't worth it. You know, for Josiah, this whole change, this whole move to repentance, began when he discovered the word of God, and when he read the Bible, and he discovered God's truth. And so, the second thing that I want to encourage you to do to help you deal with and to break free from things that you know are not God's best for you, is not just to remove the negative influence from your life, not just to remove the temptations, and essentially to to, to try and lessen the force of the wind that's pulling you away from God, but to surround yourself with God's truth. So that God can strengthen you and enable you to walk his way. You know, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, I'm not asking you to be honest with anyone else, just with yourself. You already know the areas where you struggle. You already know the changes that you need to make. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to think about what it is that that thing that you struggle with, whether it's being deceitful or critical or struggling with lust or addiction or being judgmental of others or controlling of others or whatever it is. And then find a passage of scripture that deals specifically with the behavior or the attitude or the temper or the loss of control or the insecurity and the fear that you struggle with. Find a passage of scripture that deals specifically with your issue. And then once you've found it, Commit those verses to memory. And when I say that, I don't mean memorize in the kind of way that you manage to kind of stumble through it for a couple of days, and then a week later when you come back to it, you can't get there anymore. You've forgotten it. I mean, commit those verses to memory in the same kind of way that you know your phone number or your address. In the same kind of way that you know those things that are stuck in your long-term memory and you never have to think about, you can just draw on them at any time. You might think, oh, I'm not very good at memorizing things. But it's amazing how much useless information you'll have stored away in your brain. The amount of song lyrics that you'll know, if you really think about it. The amount of recipes you might have memorized. You know, I know um, I've got all sorts of junk stored away in here. I was thinking about this when I was, I was preparing. And um, the thing which came to mind was there was a girl that I had a crush on back when I was 12. Um, and I can still remember her address where she lived. And I can still remember the uh, car registration plate of her dad's car. Okay? Um, it's P942FDC. Don't have to think about it. Don't need to think. You know, it's just there. I can draw on it any time. It's stored in my long-term memory. Useless. Junk. Won't help me in the slightest. 
But um, the thing is, if you are willing to store Bible verses away in that kind of a way, to commit to memory a scripture that deals with a specific issue that you struggle with, then when, when you face it again, when those emotions come up, when you're about to lose control, when you're facing temptation, when you're about to snap, when you're about to give in to lust or to go on a shopping spree to make yourself feel better, then at the same time that you are struggling with it, then God, by his spirit, will bring to mind the scripture that you have memorized, the scripture that you have stored away. And you will find power to exercise self-control in a way like you've never been able to before. God's word, God's truth is powerful. It's more powerful than your willpower. You can make a commitment and a decision and say, I'm going to try and do this with all my might. It never lasts all that long. Well, it doesn't for me anyway when I've tried it. But God's truth is more powerful than my good intentions. And God's word is given to us as an instrument of change. And if you will take the time to dig out the truth that deals with the issues that you wrestle with and you struggle with, and take the time to commit it to long-term memory and to meditate on it, then what happens is that in those moments of crisis, when the wind is blowing hard against you, when you are struggling to walk forwards and keep in God's ways, God's powerful truth will come to mind. And you will find the strength of God to enable you to keep stepping forwards you will find the strength to be able to resist, to take captive that thought and to walk in God's ways. And the great thing is that once you've experienced God's power to help you stand, you can go out and teach those passages to other people. You know, one of the great things we see with Josiah is that that when he, he experiences the word of God for himself and he's gripped by the truth of it and it moves him to repentance and he's grieved and he tears his clothes, he doesn't shy away from telling other people. The first thing that he does, we read in 2 Kings 23, is that he calls all of the people together from the least to the greatest. And he has the word of God read out to them. And he leads them in making a new commitment as a nation to follow God. Now, his sphere of influence as the king is pretty big. And he's able to share God's truth with an entire nation who don't really have a choice as to whether or not they're going to come and stay and listen. His authority was a little bit greater than ours probably is. But he was an inspiring influence that they needed to bring about change within a whole nation because of the position that he had been in. And while your sphere of influence, while your authority might be a little bit smaller than that of King Josiah's, I still want to encourage you to be looking for those opportunities within your spheres of influence, with your family, with your children especially, with your friends, in church, at growth groups and momentum groups, when you're out at work, to share with other people what God is doing in your life. The truth that he is teaching you and the difference that it has made for you. And to inspire people then, both those who know Jesus already and those who don't, to make changes and to begin to take steps forwards towards God for themselves. Because when you discover God's word, when you discover God's truth, no matter who you are, if you have an open heart, like Josiah had an open heart, 
It reveals to you where you're really at. It causes you to look at your life, to get on your knees and say to God, I'm sorry. And then to go out and do something about it. And as you go out, God's word strengthens you, encourages you, and enables you to stand firm, to follow him 